tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, 13, verse number 11. And if they'll go ahead and put up that, we have some overheads tonight that we're going to use in this so we can kind of stay along with it. And I want to preach tonight on the subject of when does a male become a man? I realize that some people may not be interested maybe in the subject, but it is a biblical subject. I think a very yeah. profound subject, a needed subject. And I actually believe with all my heart that the <clears throat> root of America's problems is rooted in this issue. Because if we had <clears throat> biblical manhood, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. Right. And I want to say this to you. I'm not going to live long enough to be a biblical man. I've already figured that out. But I want to aspire to be. Amen. And I want to be what I can be by God's grace. So I am preaching in water way above my head. That's all right. <coughs> Don't have to be very deep to be above my head. <laughs> Lord, we pray tonight that you'd help us to feed the flock of God. Lord, I pray specifically for young men in this church. That they would, Lord, also tonight turn their heart toward heaven. And look up at the throne of grace and the Savior that died for them and make a commitment to aspire to be a biblical man. Lord, it is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Lord, it is over hills and valleys and rivers, deserts, wilderness, Lord. But God, tonight is a wonderful journey. Lord, when we're going to take a long trip, it's least nice to know we're headed in the right direction. And Father, tonight I pray that this will help set direction to probably well, the most important thing in their life after their salvation. Because Lord, you know tonight it'll affect their marriages and it'll affect their children, their families, their whole life, every day of their life. And I pray God tonight that this would be a help to somebody. And I pray God tonight that it would glorify your holy name and that you would be honored in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11 says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. There's three things there that God says when the person he, that he did as a child, he, 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 uh, he spake as a child. He understood as a child and he thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That little phrase, when I became a man one time, kind of interested me. I began to ask myself, am I a man? Now, I'm a male, but am I a man? And further than that, am I a biblical man? A lot of folks never grow up. And particularly in the Christian life, you can go to church all your life and never grow up and mature into man, biblical manhood. And I would say also to you young ladies that if this would help you spot and recognize a biblical young man, it'll be a help to you. And you need discernment and you need wisdom and direction about that as, as we all do. So tonight we're going to be looking at this and um, in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, just flip a page there, you'll see there that um, in chapter 16, verse 13, it says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done with charity. That's quite a verse right there, a lot, lot in that verse. To be alert, stand fast, don't be unmovable in the work of the Lord, be strong. But that phrase, quit you like men, in other words, that means conduct yourself like a man. And he's not just talking about a man in the worldly sense, he's talking about a man in a biblical sense. So when does a man become a male, and they've got this up there tonight, well, they'll be putting that up there. I want to say to you tonight that uh, I want to talk to the fathers. Who will define, I want you to listen to this question. Who will define what manhood is to your sons? Just think about that for a second. Who is going to be the person that defines what manhood is to your sons. 
What will your son, how will they conclude what manhood is by your leadership? Will they not have a clue? Will they reject what they see projected from you as, a, as manhood? But you need to ask yourself, who is going to define manhood in the mind and heart of your son? What will his concept of manhood be and who's going to influence him because he is going to be influenced? Is the world going to influence and define manhood for your son? Or is the word of God going to define manhood for your son? The truth about it is right now across the world, manhood is being defined to most young men by the world. The world is telling them and convincing them of what a man should be. And we'll get into this in a little more detail later. There is a war from hell over manhood. And if he could, because just think about this, if he can destroy biblical manhood, there's a thousand other things that's destroyed as a result of it. It is a very foundational issue, biblical manhood. And this takes us to this issue of the next thing there, uh, principle of identity. The principle of identity. Now this is a big, big issue. I want to ask you a question tonight. What, who do you identify with? This has to do with becoming a biblical man. Who do you identify with? Not who do you think you identify with, but who do you truly identify with? Identification in life is a very serious issue. God has ordained the principle of identity. And so the question is, who am I? Really, honestly, who am I? Who am I at church? Who am I out at the job? Who am I out at the house? What is your true identity? And when you say that, you say, well, what do you mean, Reggie, identity? Who do you identify with? This is, where, this is how the journey of biblical manhood, one of the first things that has to happen is who am I going to identify with? Am I going to identify with the world or am I going to identify with Christ? This principle is all the way through scripture. Who is on the Lord's side? You ever heard that statement? You know what they were asking? Who do you identify with? Choose you this day whom you will serve. What are they asking? Who do you identify with? How long halt ye between two opinions? What are they asking? Who do you identify with? Now it's easy in this church house on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights to say, well, I identify with the Lord. I identify with the church. I identify with God's people. But what about tomorrow when you go out? When you're just going through your daily things, who is it you're identifying with by the decisions you make and the attitudes and decisions and so forth that you make in life? Every person, and it, this, is, this is a law of creation, is going to identify with somebody. You're going to identify with somebody. But identity does something rough. It defines who we are and declares to the world who we truly are. Now listen to me tight. <clears throat> One of the reasons this subject, this whole issue of biblical manhood is important to me is because I lived for 28 years in double identity. I could identify with Christians on Sunday but I could identify with the world on Monday. I had no problem. This is why I knew I wasn't a man. Because I did not have the spiritual strength and fortitude and presence of God in my life to be able to identify with Christ when it wasn't easy to do so. Amen. When it cost me business or otherwise or brought reproach or mock or scorn or fear of man and fear of man would drive me to identify with the world rather than with Christ. Amen. Identity defines and declares who you've given the power to shape your life. Somebody right now, I mean tonight, somebody is being used to shape your life. Yes. 
your identity. This, this is some of the, as far as I'm concerned, this is some of the most important wisdom and understanding we'll ever grab a hold of. Amen. Who is shaping my life? Can I say to you that if you sit and listen to country western music all day long, it is going to shape your life. Right. It is going, you will eventually conform to it and be shaped to its philosophies, its lies, or its message, right. its culture, its way of life. If you listen to music that may be other, I don't know, you know, rock or country, it doesn't make, but when, when you get into godly, did you know godly music shapes you? Amen. You just got through, do you know my Jesus? We just got through singing that. Yeah. And the songs that you sing, they begin to shape your identity, who you identify with. Now, Clothes is a reflection of who you identify with. Appearance says this is who I identify with. Where you go, the entertainments and things that you enjoy and the, the pleasures or whatever things of life that you do and partake in, they show who you identify with. Recognizing and being honest about your identity is critical. Amen. Who am I and who do I identify with? Because ultimately, here's what God does. God brings us down to there's really only two places to identify. Either you identify with God and his people, his church, his word, or you identify with the world, with Satan. Yep. There's really only two, there's only two areas where you identify with. The problem in, with us many times is that we're trying to identify in two different worlds. Yes. That creates confusion. That's right. it, it, it creates doubt. It, cre it just messes your life up. It creates instability. Amen. But one of the worst things it does is create down deep in your spirit, it creates the reality, I am a hypocrite. Yeah. Yeah. I am not really who I say I am anywhere. Because if I'm in the church and I say I identify with them, but on Wednesday I'm with a different bunch of guys and I identify with them, I'm being fake all the way. Yes. And that creates almost a self-hatred in yourself. Yep. Because you know you're not who you claim to be. One of the greatest pieces and joys and fulfillment of life and, and just settling down will happen is when you just decide that I'm going to identify with Jesus Christ, period. Amen. And if anybody doesn't like that, I can't help it. Amen. And I'm going to, this is where I'm at. This is who I identify with. That we sing that song and I know they sing it at camp a lot. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have what? Decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. That song speaks of this great biblical principle of identity. Who am I? And who do I identify with? And God has so made it in creation that we are going to be shaped and identified into to one place or the other, either the Christ or this world. Authorities even use people to shape the lives of those who identify with them. In the military, it doesn't make anywhere you're at. You know, it's our identity. You know, when you're going to go fight a war. One of the first things you want to do is to be able to identify the enemy. Flags on ships, why? To identify who, who the ship is. One of the worst things you can get into is a war where there's no identity to the soldiers. That's the most dangerous place you'll ever be in is when you can't identify the enemy. And so tonight we go to this, uh, guys up there, you may be there already. What identifies a boy as a man? This is kind of interesting. What did, hey, I, I, when did you become a man? Men in this church, when did we become men? Or have we become men? But what identifies a, a male as a man? So let's go down through it. Facial hair. No. 
You sound very convinced of that. Oh, I get to shave. Look at there. There's a hair. I'm a man. <clears throat> Facial hair does not identify you as a man. Driver's license. Woo! I'm a man. How many thinks driver's license identifies you as a man? Makes a male turn into a man. <laughs> Maybe turn into an idiot. I don't know. Oh, you left home. You don't live at home anymore. I'm a man. Probably not. Probably really not. <coughs> Leaving home doesn't make you a man. But to be honest with you, these are things that some, the world kind of will tell you. Yeah. Oh, you're growing facial hair. You don't need daddy anymore. You're, you're a man. Did you know the devil can whisper you at the mirror and say, you know what, you're, you're a man. You don't need, you, you got facial hair. Well, in life, you got your driver's license. Mom and dad don't need to be telling you what to do. Mm. I'm, you're a man. Can I tell you one of the biggest lies the devil ever tell you that you're a man when you're not a man? He'll make you think things that you're doing that the world thinks categorizes and, and defines as manhood as being man and you're not man at all and you're living in a living deception. <clears throat> Earning money, job. Does that make you a man? Yep. Robbing the bank. <laughs> no, it's not on there, is it? Okay. You get a job. You could say, you, you maybe, that may be part of what you're on the journey to being a man. But that in and of itself does not make you a man. Well, I got my, I'm, I'm, I, 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 do, I earn my own money. I, my, I earn my own money. I have a job. That doesn't make a person a man. Biblical man especially. How about immorality? Sad to say, if an honest truth in American culture, that many, most young men have been told that that makes them a man if they're immoral. And that is a lie. In fact, you're not any close, anywhere near close to being a man. And you're not even within the universe of being a man if you're immoral. And I don't care if you're 15, and I don't care if you're 75. You are not a man if you're immoral. Get married. That may be the very thing that shows you you're not a man. <laughs> How many have looked back when you got married and you think, Lord have mercy, I didn't have enough sense to get out of the shower. I didn't have enough sense to... Anybody like that? Yeah. But you got married. But you didn't, you know... Getting married does not mean you're a man. Just kind of... And the reason I run through these things because if you're not careful, these are things that you know, the world stacks up and says, oh, okay, you're a man. But you're not. Doesn't make you a man. Having children does not make you a man. In fact, it may in and of itself reveal that you are not a man. I will say something to you. Let's don't be stupid. Great Christians do stupid things. Great Christians do sinful things. David was a man after God's own heart. He begat a child out of wedlock. That did not make him a man. It revealed a lack of manhood. <clears throat> I want to say to you boys this. Being a man will involve respecting any young lady to the extent that you would never damage her life. Amen. That you would never take advantage of her Love for you. Because if you take advantage of a young lady, you're not a man. Amen. You are not a man. Biblical men do not take advantage of people. Or do not use natural affection or whatever it may be and a desire you don't, you don't take those God-given desires and misuse them. <clears throat> Military service. Doesn't make, it might help you on your journey. It could help you, but that in and of itself does not make you a man. You know what the old story is, don't you? I, I'm leaving home. I'm tired of anybody telling me what to do. I'm going to join the military. 
That's called jumping out of the fire and the frying pan into the fire. <clears throat> what about this in here, muscle mass? <laughs> does that make a man a man? Does that make a male a man? You know, what's that? I don't know how they do that. How do they do that? When I was a boy, it was Charles Atlas. You know, you ordered the Charles Atlas deal about how to be a muscle. Anybody remember that? Charles Atlas. Yeah, you ordered Charles Atlas, you built. You know, he was, you know. And that was like the symbolic of man. But having muscle mass does not make you not an idiot. <clears throat> yeah. Is it, a, is it a good thing? We talk about work and so forth. Is it good to have muscle? I sure think so. I'd hate to try to live without it. But you going around looking like honcho don't mean, don't mean you're a man. In fact, I, I, I would dare to say this at 70 years of age, you go around trying to act macho and flexing your muscles around, most girls are going to go, he's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do when you get married and go, hey, honey, look at this. That doesn't impress them. <clears throat> I better stay with the message, amen? How about you got a vehicle? Ooh, man, now listen to me. When I got my first vehicle, I was a man. If you're not careful, you kind of think like that. You know, I got a job, I got a vehicle. Oh man, that's the way the world thinks. How about possessions? Uh, how about sports skills? Let me just show you how powerful this is. You ever heard of uh, Air Jordans? You know why people buy sports stuff? Because they, they've told that that will identify you with that person. And they have shaped your life with that person. I told you earlier that authorities use people to shape lives. And they're telling you that you need to be like this person. That's why I tell you, don't have any heroes but Jesus. Amen. For sure don't have any earthly heroes. Don't, if the dumbest thing you will ever do is make some guy that's a hot rod sports guy your hero. He may be the most. <laughs> but I will tell you in the Ozarks what makes you a man. When you kill a 10 point buck, buddy. <laughs> How many have ever just kind of thought that I killed that buck, buddy? I don't know. That prove I'm a man. Did you know that's in our culture? Yes. It is. Why would we go around the town with that head hanging out in the back of the pickup? <laughs> what are we trying to say? I'm a man. I killed a big buck. Huh? Hitting them with a car counts. Amen. <laughs> yes, it does. <clears throat> Sports skills. We talked about possessions. Sports skills. But you know what I mean? It, let me just tell you something. Have you ever seen a situation where the I get tickled. Now, Sunday morning girls, I just want to tell you this in case you haven't noticed, that back wall, what's that when they call, they line criminals up and they pick one out, he's like, that's him. Well, these boys all line up every Sunday morning back here against the wall waiting for you to come by and go, ah, pick him. <laughs> I'm going to fix these boys from lining up against the wall back there. Amen. Now, you girls come by next week and go, then go, no, not him. No, not him. <laughs> I still think we ought to have a deal out here at the tabernacle where the girls, you know, are dancing like the, you know, the children, of, you know, and the guys come out of the brush and grab a girl. I really think that'd be funny. <clears throat> I bet you you'd see girls run like you've never seen girls run in your life. <laughs> They're back here going, yo, that'd be funny to see. I'd just like to try it one time. Probably all the time I would too. But if we're not careful, you walk in and, 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 and you drive up and you've got this pickup and, and this pickup has, uh, <clears throat> has tires about that high and that wide and lifters and, and, and it goes boom, 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 going down the road. And, and, and man, I mean, it's got you know, some this stuff on it here. And, I mean, and, and you just drive and you're a man. <laughs> Trucks do not make you a man. They make you, <laughs> they make you have to buy gas and <laughs> repair bills. They make these guys a living. <laughs> because most of you are going to buy a truck that's used and wore out, but it's beautiful on the outside and it's worthless on the inside. I'll just take that one to the bank with you, okay? <clears throat> Am I telling the truth or not? 
you saved up just enough money to buy that truck down there and it's beautiful, but it ain't worth a dime. And you're gonna spend the next five years money on it. That wasn't in the message either. <laughs> Achievements in business. Oh man. Achievements in business. Financial success. Does that make you a man? Nope. Doesn't make you a man. I think the first thing we need to do is realize what does not make us a man? Because we're being told that these things, purely and honestly, we're being told subtly by the culture, by the advertisements, by the programming, by the music, by the songs, and by all the stuff that's fluffed out at us, that this is the stuff that's going to make you a man. And it's not. So we need to get these things down. But here's the big one. Having a woman with you. Does that make you a man? No. You'd be surprised how many guys, <clears throat> I got my trophy wife hanging on me, babe. <laughs> That makes me sick, by the way. Your wife's not a trophy for you to feed your ego on. If your wife's, you think your wife's nothing more than a trophy, if I was her, I wouldn't fix you breakfast for a month. Amen. Anyway, but I'm going to tell you something. Having a woman with you doesn't make you a man. It may just mean that you're trying to make all the other guys jealous and make them think you're a bigger, you're a, you're a better looking, smarter guy than they are because look who I've got with me. Now, girls, that's the way guys think. Don't ever let yourself be a trophy to an idiot. It goes on. Yeah, it goes on. I've seen it. I've seen it in this church. To be honest with you, you can see the look on that guy's face. He wants everybody in church to know, man. That makes me a man. Some of you guys ain't looking real good about this. <clears throat> Am I saying you shouldn't be grateful or, you know, I don't know. Anyway. So now we look at the biblical design and identity as a man. The biblical design and identity of manhood is Jesus Christ. Amen. Period. Amen. That is the identity of a man. If you want to know what biblical manhood is, you got to look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called, watch this, the son of God. Fathers are to dictate and shape their son to biblical manhood. We have a big responsibility. If, if our sons are going to know what biblical manhood is, they better be getting it from their father. He's called the son of God. Matthew 16, 16, thou art the son of God. Romans 1, 41, declared to be the son of God with power. Matthew 3, 17, the son of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. I'll show you something. And, and this is a big deal here. Matthew chapter 4. Satan challenges identity. He will challenge your identity. Matthew chapter 4, verse number um, 3. And the tempter came to him and said, If thou be what? The Son, the Son of God. Verse number 6. If thou be what? The Son of God. What was Satan doing? Watch that. This is so powerful. He was challenging his identity. And he was trying to get Jesus to change his identity and take his own identity rather than his father's identity. You're going to be shaped to an identity somewhere. You, I could take it many, many examples. Daniel, when he was in the foreign land, it's all about identity. Everything he did was about who he was, who he identified himself with. The reason he wouldn't not pray, or the reason he would pray when they said not to, the reason he wouldn't eat what they said to eat. He, he was, Daniel was constantly setting forth his identity with God Almighty. And the whole idea was that he's identified with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I identify with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everything they were challenging him on. What's going to happen is you're going to be challenged about your identity as a child of God. When you go out tomorrow, somehow or this world is going to challenge you about who you're identified with. And the fear of man will bring a snare. And you'll be afraid, well, if I identify, you know, and this kind of gets my goal. No, I don't want to. I've heard people say, oh, they got a Bible verse on their truck. They wear their religion on their sleeve. Well, where are you wearing yours at? Yeah. Are you making it so you can identify with whoever you're at? <laughs> you can easily slide over here or you can easily slide over there. I mean, have you put your feet down and said, this is where I'm at and I ain't moving. Nobody's changing my identity. Satan did not change Jesus Christ's identity there. But he challenged it twice in verse number three and verse number six. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. 
and verse number 33, I believe it is. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33. <clears throat> then they that were in the ship of truth and worship and saying of the truth, thou art what? What were they saying? We know who you identify with by your conduct, by your actions, by your life. We can tell who you are. We can identify you. You're, you're the son of God. The principle here is that every time you turn around, somebody is trying to identify where you at. Yep. Who are you? This is, young people, I'll just throw this out again. When you're uh, looking at a potential mate, you need to look deeply. Now, you're not going to find the perfect wife or the perfect husband, but I tell you one thing, you better figure out who their true identity is right. and not find out six months after you're married that I did not marry the person I thought I was marrying. <laughs> this happens all the time. Learning to identify their identification is so important in your life. Matthew chapter 27, verse number, third, verse number 40. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 40. <clears throat> Looking at this issue of identification. Verse number 40. And it says there, And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, build it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. There's a constant challenge from Satan that if you're a child of God, prove it. Lay the cards on the table as the old saying goes. You say you're a Christian and he'll bring challenges to your life. He'll, by this, he'll put you with certain people in certain places, in certain places that will challenge your identity. And by the way, watch this. Even just being quiet and not identifying with the Lord so that you cannot be accused of it is a way of identifying who you really are. Yes, sir. There's a time when silence is sin. Amen. When you should have made known who you are. <clears throat> now, I don't know if it's time to get to this or not. How do you, what, what would cause, let me look here and see, um, George, Jim, can I just use George for a little illustration about a young man? George, how old are you right now? You're 12 years old. Perfect. George, I wonder what would cause you to start chewing tobacco in four years? How would that, do you chew tobacco now? Not, not all the time, just some of the time. <laughs> oh, can I tell you guys a funny story about <clears throat> Van? <laughs> I, don't, I, won't, I won't tell it. I won't tell it. It wasn't tobacco. <laughs> It's so funny. I laughed and laughed. I didn't, he told us to me the other day. I never heard about him and that. I won't tell it on him. But <laughs> no, I will. <laughs> My daddy used to smoke Roy Tan cigars. Canadian Club. Huh? Canadian Club. Canadian Club. Boy, he does remember good. <laughs> Canadian Club. And he kept them out in the garage, right? Because mom just did not go with him smoking his cigars in the house. So he kept his Canadian Clubs out in a box. Six of them. Six boxes? Whew. Well, one day he had a little son named Van who found his Canadian Club cigars. And Van, if I understand this right, they were all individually wrapped. And Van unwrapped one of them and tasted it. And they coat them with... It was good. And you know what Van did? Some of you think he's a little angel. He is not an angel. He took... Dad's cigars one by one and unwrapped them and licked all the good stuff off of them. <laughs> huh? put them back in the and put them back in the bag and put them back in there. The reason he got telling me, he said, well, I read you one of the worst whippings I ever got from my dad <laughs> was from licking all the sweet stuff off of dad's Canadian cigars and putting them back in the box. He said, of course, dad found the box and oh, <laughs> man. Huh? Forty some cigars. Forty some cigars. If he acts a little funny, you know what's wrong with him. <laughs> Let's get back to it. George is twelve years old. He goes to Liberty Faith Church. He knows the truth. He's got a dad that preaches. He's got a dad that has diligently taught him the Word of God. But at eighteen, he's out one day with some guys, and he all of a sudden he he, he reaches and, and all of a sudden you you see him and he's got. What would cause George, now I want to ask you a question, and just being honest, 
Does that sound real good to you, chewing? Doesn't it? It's nasty stuff. I always call it diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> Runs out, yeah, okay. But George, what in the world will cause you to start putting stuff in your mouth that's nasty, not good for your health? Did you know when you get ready to take an operation of any kind, they want to know about nicotine? Because nicotine will keep you from healing up. It is dangerous, deadly to your body. And they'll ask you, do you, do you dip? They'll literally ask you, do you dip skull? Because skull will hinder, any kind of nicotine will partially hinder your health but it, and your healing uh, if you have an operation. But what would cause, okay, I want to look for another young man here. Right here. You're handy. What would cause him to start dipping skull at 18, 17? So-called friends. Huh? They're so-called friends. Friends. So-called friends. He's exactly right. No man in his right mind is going to go, Oh, boy, look at there. That looks good. Yummy, yummy. That's, you, I don't know anybody I've ever met that would just go, Oh my goodness, that looks wonderful. Mmm, that tastes good. I'm gonna use that the rest of my life. Mmm. What on earth would cause a 12-year-old boy, four years later, to be running around with a wriggle can wreck here? Now, I wanna tell you one thing, George, if you ever start dipping, do not let a girl know you dip. Because I'm telling you, I don't think most of them wanna kiss that. How many of you girls just look so forward to my Prince Charming? I'm going to marry Prince Charming. I hope he did skull. I'm so anxious to kiss my Prince Charming. Mm. You practice kissing. Mm. I want to kiss a boy that's got skull dripping down his, his cheeks and he's got it all in his teeth and half his teeth rotted out from it and it's embedded down there and it's got scum about a quarter inch thick on his teeth and oh, I can't wait to marry that boy. Come on, girl, say amen. That's right, I'm looking for him. <clears throat> huh? I was, that was, that don't, uh, they will not do that, George, okay? But I'm asking you, what will cause him? I ask another young boy, what would cause him to start eating on something? What would cause, uh, you, you boys, uh, uh, I can't keep everybody's name straight in here. McDonald. McCormick. The plow, the, the tractor. Your McCormick was right there. All right, what would it cause your brother to start drinking beer? But if he did, if you walk, say, let's say seven years down the road and you guys are not home and you walk in, why do you happen to be living in the same apartment or the same house here? And you walk in, he's got a six pack of beer on the, what could have, on earth could have caused him to start drinking? I want to tell you something. Beer's nasty. Yes, it is. Nasty. It does not do one thing for you. And yet the whole country's drinking Bud Light. Yeah. Queers. You drink a Bud Light. Hey, you on you listen you beer drinkers on TV listen to me or whatever you're on. You drink Bud Light, you're you're uh, beer. But what would cause that boy to start drinking beer? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. They call it peer pressure. You know what it is? It's identity. He's running around with some guys that think they're cool and they got the girls running with them, and they're the cool guys. And they, and if you're not, you don't drink beer, you're not cool. Where in the world did we come up with the idea that if we don't drink beer, we're not cool? Where did we come up with the idea that if we don't dip skull, we're not cool? It's called identity. It's who you want to identify with. And here's what it is called the trial of your faith. There's going to be a day, boys. God's going to let you know who you are and who you ain't because you don't really know yet. You may, but it's doubtful that you really know who you are yet. Because there come a day when you're going to find out you're going to, God has ordained that you're going to get in to find out who you are. Yeah. This is involved in salvation. Yeah. God makes it so that he wants you to know who you are. Are you a son of God? Or are you a child? Do you know what Jesus said? You're of your father, the devil. Yeah. You know what he was doing? Identifying. And God will show you someday who you are and who you aren't. And he'll show you that you didn't know who you were. Amen. And I want to tell some of you kids, 
Yes, it's good that you're raised with protection. And yes, it's great that you're raised with biblical principles and all these things. But I can tell you something. There's going to come a day when you're probably going to go somewhere and you're going to get a job and you're going to be living with mom and dad and you're going to get away from us. I talked to a man. I talked to a, Karen, where were we at? We were at a restaurant in Springfield. And I tell you how it has to be bad for me to go to Springfield. We were stopped at the restaurant to get eat. Remember the other day we was up for the boys to serve the table? And he says, Reg, how are you? I had no clue who he was. I didn't know who he was. I mean, he brought our water and set it down there and looked at me and said, Reg, how you doing? I was like, whoo, I'm glad I'm, right. I'm with Karen. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay. <clears throat> and he <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, but I don't, I, I, I don't know who you are. He used to go to school here. He had grown up, hadn't seen him in years. And this is what he told me, boys, listen up. I said, how you doing? Well, he said, I've moved to Springfield. I said, man, I would not have recognized you. And that's just the truth. Probably last time I seen him, he was 10, 11 years old. He's like maybe what, 20, 21, honey, look somewhere in that area, maybe. Huh? Anyway, whatever he was, I didn't know who he was. You know, I just didn't know who he was. And he said, Reg, he said, I want you to know something. He said, I watch services once in a while. He said, it really helps me. He said, I'm living in an apartment. And he said, it is absolutely a hellhole. Nonstop partying every night. Nonstop drinking every night. And he said, I'm having a tough time. And he said, I need spiritual food. Or basically what he said, I need help in my life. There's going to come a day when you're not home anymore. And you're not coming to church, and, and you're going to find out, and, and you're going to find, you want to be identified. You, you, will, you will seek identity. You will, you won't, you can't help yourself. And you're going to identify, but what, man, can I ask you a question? Who wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I think I'll go find a syringe, and I think I'll get some stuff that could kill me and hit my vein and just shove that in there. That sounds like fun to me. How does, how does somebody, how does somebody get their Identity. When does a male become a man? And part of this whole thing is, is when you really absolutely in your soul, spirit, heart, the deepest part of who you are, decide that I am going to identify with Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. And that's where I will identify no matter where I'm at, no matter who I'm with, no matter what's going on, I will identify with Jesus Christ. You better get this locked down. I'm telling you, you better get this locked down. Amen. What in the world would cause somebody to get there with a needle? Well, let me tell you how they'll get there. They'll have a little something. They'll be out with somebody. I remember the first time I ever saw pot. You know what? It was a young man that went to Camp Joy even. Oh. oh. See, just because they go to Liberty Faith Church don't make somebody right. Come on. He, I was in Ava Square, 16 years old. Pulled up down there and he waved me over. I pulled my car in beside his car. He said, jump in. I got out of my car, got in. He flops his console open full of marijuana cigarettes he had rolled up. He said, you ever had any pot? I said, no. He said, man, y'all try one. And, and I had enough sense not to do it. I thank God I didn't. But I'm going to tell you something. That's how you get started. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I... I beg of you tonight, get hold of this thing of identity. Who are you? Think about what would make me do such a stupid thing. But they start off smoking a joint just to kind of get along with everybody, be accepted. In my book, uh, Walk to Sea with Me, if you've read it, read about the river party. That'll show you what identity will do. When the girls came down there and all those guys was there and they walk up to them. And those girls have never smoked a cigarette and a drunk and drunk in their life. But because they wanted to be identified and liked by those boys, they started puffing cigarettes and coughing and, and, and started drinking beer just because they wanted to be identified and liked by those boys. Yeah. You'll do stuff that you never would have done. Right. But the next thing it is, it's not just a marijuana. It, it, it is, then it's a pill and then it's a needle. Identity. I hope you'll get a hold of these things tonight. Well... I want you to go to, uh, let's go to John chapter 14, verse number seven. John chapter 14, verse number seven. I'll try to finish up here quickly. I appreciate your long suffering with me, but I hope it's not me you're dealing with. I hope it's the Lord. John 14, verse number seven. 
If you had known me, you should have known my father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth. And Jesus said, Have I not been so long have I been so long with you and hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou show us the Father? I'm gonna stop right here and just tell you, Jesus has given one of the biggest statements in the Bible about who he identified with. Right. You want know Jesus watch this, do you know who Jesus identified with? His father. Amen. And the will of my father I do always, he said. You know what Jesus said? I identify with my Father in heaven. Oh, listen to me. Jerry Clowers tells one of the best stories you ever heard about a boy in college when his dad came and how that boy was on the football team and all the hot rod boys in college. But when his dad came in his overhauls and his old brown boots and came off the farm, he said he did not hesitate to identify and say, hey, boys, I want you all to meet my daddy. Amen. If there's ever a place or time you're ashamed of your daddy. Yep. Yep. Identifying with your godly daddy, you got big problems. Yeah. Or your godly mother. It's who you identify with. That's what really makes you a man. And you say, I want to be a man. If you'll identify with the right people, God will make you a man. Amen. Go to, we're going to try to finish this up. Go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you something. I want to show you one of the biggest things of, of identity in the Bible. I love this. I love this. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll go down to verse number 23. Verse number 23. But here's the thing. Your identity should be with Jesus Christ. All right. Verse number 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Why were they not afraid of the king's commandments? Why was his parents not afraid of the king's commandments? Why? They had identified with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. The God of creation. They weren't afraid of what the law said to do that was against God's law because their identity was with God. Amen. But watch this. Watch how this identity uh, principle was passed to their son. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, his journey to biblical manhood refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, I will not be identified as a child of Pharaoh's daughter. I am not identifying with Egypt. I'm identifying with the God of Abraham. Amen. And he refused to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's big. You want to know why God used Moses? You want to know why you know about Moses? It's because he learned the principle of identity early in life and he made a choice of who he's going to identify with. Amen. Look at this. He came to years. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing. He's choosing his identity. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yeah. He, he, he made a choice of his identity. And the, one of the sweetest days you'll ever have. This is why salvation to me is so wonderful because when you get saved you just, and you come out clean, I mean, you ain't kind of putting your toe in the water and you identify with Christ, you're free. Amen. Those people don't have any influence on you any longer. Amen. They don't, you're not in bondage. You're not in fear. You don't have the fear of man. Well, I'm afraid what they might think of me if I wear a dress. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. I, they, I'm not afraid they think of me if I don't smoke. I'm not worried about what they think about me if I don't drink their beer. Yeah. And just like he said, just want to go, this peer pressure, you, you got, you're running around with wrong, if you're running with wrong friends, what's happening to you, you they, are, they are assuming that you are identifying with them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if, if you don't do what they're doing, they'll take that as an offense yep. that you're not identifying with us, so you're not on our team. You're not us. Yes. Right. <laughs> Identity is a big thing. I wish if I could tonight just bring something into the mind and heart of every person here, especially the young people. It's all about identity. Yeah. Who do you identify with? You are going to identify with somebody. Yeah. And Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. Jesus taught the principle of identity. And he taught there was no middle ground. If you're not for him, you're against him. So God's will and design is that the son's identity. Here's a neat thing. Watch this. God designs primarily that the son's identity. Can you put that in up, guys? Do we have that? We may not have that. Comes primarily from his father. When you read your Bible, it always says, who is the son of, who is the son of, who is the son of, 
who are the son of. Why did God do that? Why didn't he say his mom was a servant? And once in a while it does tell you who the mother is, but most of the time it tells you who he was the son of. What is, it, what is happening when somebody says, well, he's the son of? They're identifying them. When you're going down the road and you're doing 77 into 55 and a policeman pulls you over, can you anybody tell me what's the first thing he does? Can I see your ID? What in the world is it? Can you say, well, ain't none of your business. Yes. Identity is critical in any issue. You know what's wrong with this illegal immigration invasion situation? We don't know who's coming in. And when you don't know identity, you're in trouble. All these, they say there are tens of thousands of Chinese coming in. What for? What are they up to? Why'd they come over? What's going on? We don't even know. We've got millions of people. What is it? Somewhere around 20 million people in here. Did you know that this week they come out that there's enough illegal aliens? By the way, San Francisco this week, you know, you can figure San Francisco to be the, the, the drudge of the drudge. They put an illegal alien on their board that controls elections. The Democrats are pushing for all these illegals to be able to vote. And there's a reason. They now have it figured. They've already got it figured out. There's enough illegals in here that if we would grant them amnesty and vote, the Democrat Party would have permanent power in this nation. Permanent power. Permanent power. And that's what this is a lot about. Texas, watch this. There's Abbott down there. Oh, I'm off third base now, ain't I? Walking off third base. But anyway, Abbott knows what's going on. They've been coming across, there's one point down there where there's just hundreds and thousands of people coming and he puts barbed wire up or put that wire up and, and Biden told him to take it down and all this junk and stuff and they're having a whole deal about that. Abbott knows this, that the Democrat party, and I'm just gonna say it, the devil's party. They ain't one thing they stand for that I know is biblical, not one single solitary thing. And if that makes your hair tingle hot, why don't you go find a liberal church to attend? Because this is not going to be your place. And I don't mean to be mean about that, but I am not buckling under you. He knows that the goal is Texas. Listen to me. If the Democrat Party can swing Texas blue, it's all over. There'll never be another Republican candidate. And I'm not pushing Republican Party as much as I'm just saying, but they're the only safeguard politically right now to try to stop a lot of this junk. Right. Yeah. And you name the issue, gun control, abortion, you name it, queers, you name it, and Republicans are caving in on that. But I'm telling you something, they know the game. <clears throat> Why wouldn't we want to know the identity of invaders coming into our country? And let me just tell you something, there's going to be no illegal aliens in, in heaven. There's no illegal immigration into heaven. You're going to have to have your name written in the Lamb Book of Life. Amen. Well, anyway, Moses said there that he, 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 here's what he did. Now watch this. How did he make this choice of his identity, who he was going to identify with? He had affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. And he admitted to his pleasure in his stuff. Man, I'm in the palace. He was in line for the king of Egypt. Look at verse 16. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches. Here it is. Oh, so you're a Christian, huh? Hey, so you go to church? Is that really? Oh, you really go to church? So you don't drink beer, huh? What are you, some kind of pipsqueak, or what's the deal with you? <coughs> you're a sissy? <coughs> you don't do drugs? <coughs> Stay away from us. Yep. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Yep. Wait, wait. Hey, hey, girls, hang on. That cool guy you think's really cool? Mm-hmm. And he starts putting the pressure on you? And he said, if you won't cave into him, uh, you and him, ain't, you can't be with him anymore. And you sell yourself out just so you can be with the cool guy that you think is cool. Yeah. Amen. All, he's, all, all that's going on is God allowing your identity to be tested. You'd rather be with the cool guy than with God. He just exposed your identity. I'm just telling you, it's the way it works. We've got to close out. <clears throat> Bonanza's on here in about 15 minutes. I get it. <laughs> a male's not a biblical man until. 
Let's get there, guys, if we can. Finish up. Number one, if you want to be biblical, male, man, you recognize God as your creator. That's foundational. If you don't get that, you can't, you can't even start the journey. You've got to humble yourself before God, admit you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and be born again of the Spirit of God. That's starting your journey on biblical manhood. If you're not saved, none of the rest of it matters. Then I will say this to you. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. First thing out of the box. That's why one thing I respect these boys and these young ladies that's going out and witnessing. You pull up in a Marshfield or Mountain Grove or Norwood here and get out of your car. with a <laughs> Tobias, where are you at? You right there somewhere? Anyway. Tobias says, Reggie, you can go with me. So I go with Tobias. Now, look, I want everybody to look at him. Look at him. That's how he looks when he goes soul winning. A great big black Bible. <laughs> now me, I'm sneaky. I just want a few tracks in my pocket. Because I don't want them to think I'm a Mormon. And I don't want to think I'm a Jehovah Witness. Because if I was them and I thought he was a Mormon, I'd run him off. You know? Yeah. Right, but, you know, but what I'm saying is, but he just walks up to the Bible and says, he tells him what he's there for. Okay, that's good. That's his way of doing it. I don't do it that way. <laughs> Because my experience has been if I walk up to a door with a big Bible, I've got to jump over that hoop. I've got to work through that briar patch to get to where they listen to because they're going. Look at that Bible, you know. You stay with what you're doing. If that's the way God told you to do it, you stay with it. But I'm saying this to you. When he walks up there with that big Bible, what's happening? They're trying to say, who is this guy? They're trying to identify who he is. And if you're willing to go out on the street and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus Christ, you've made a pretty firm commitment about you identify with. Not being ashamed of Jesus Christ. You're going to make up your mind on that. That's biblical manhood. Assume personal responsibility. If you're not going to take personal responsibility for what you've done, you ain't a man. <clears throat> if you're going to victimize yourself every time something happens and make yourself out to be the victim, you ain't grown up. You're still a child. Develop godly disciplines. One of the things you've got to do is conquer your fleshly passions. I'm just going to say this with all my heart. I know this. I, you know, I'm sorry it's dog in the world, but I'm telling you right now, biblical manhood involves your spirit having control over your flesh. Yeah. Your spirit being dominant over your flesh. And you will not be a biblical man until that happens in your life. As long as you let your flesh be dominant over your spirit, you're not going to have victory of anything and you will not be a man. Develop meekness and conquer anger. I haven't, I haven't, I, I said I, I probably don't live long enough to be a biblical man. But I want to tell you something, real men, biblical men, rule their spirit. And they don't try to dominate nor control people with anger. And the second you blow up, you're just proving to yourself that you're not a man yet especially to those people that you love. A biblical man lives a real vital faith whether he's at church or not at church. He's a man of prayer. He's a forgiver. He will not allow bitterness to rule his life. He commits it to him who judgeth righteously. A biblical man has a vision for Christ's glory and the eternal purpose in his life. A biblical man develops endurance. And I want to tell you this right now. Endurance is critical. Yeah. The Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier of the cross. Amen. Endurance is important. But you can't endure on your own power. You need God's grace to endure affliction and persecution or whatever it might be. Reproach. A biblical man has a spirit of obedience to God. He's, if he learns this is what the Bible teaches, he has an agreeance with it. May not quite understand it all, but he said, you know, if this is what the Bible teaches, I want to do that. A biblical man will examine preaching. He won't just take everything he hears. He'll check the Word of God to see whether this is right or not. <clears throat> a biblical man has courage of convictions. Let me say something about a conviction. Now, a conviction is something that you will, it's based on the Word of God clearly, and you will not change for any reason. That's a conviction. Most people don't have convictions. They have preferences. I'd prefer to do, do this and live this way, but if it got the heat gets too bad, I'll get out of the kitchen. But convictions you'll stand. Biblical convictions are not even hardly taught nor preached in this generation. 
But we men especially need to have biblical convictions because you're going to have a lot of pressure on your life. Some of you boys right now, you kind of got this idea, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a spiritual leader in my home and I'm going to protect my wife, provide my wife. You know, and, but you don't know that it's going to be your wife and your kids going to be the one pressuring you to change. You don't know that it's right inside your house where the greatest pressure is going to come for you to cave and compromise on con- biblical truths. And if you don't have convictions and you can't lovingly and kindly say, listen, this is what the Bible teaches and here we stand. And I'm not, I'm not caving in because you're my boy. I'm not caving in because you're my wife. And you need to be kind about that, but as firm as a rock of Gibraltar. You need to be so firm, in fact, that they'll know. Don't even try him because you're not going to change him. That has to be biblical now. It can't be some little issue that you, you, you like. It has to be a biblical, clear conviction of Scripture. <clears throat> a biblical man has to be an example to those that's under his care, have a spirit of obedience to God, and stand in the gap, and be a provider and protector and a patriarch. And I want to say this, he has to have no fear of man in him. You cannot be afraid of other people. You can't be afraid of what they think about you. Can I tell you something? You don't use a King James Bible because you're afraid of what people in this church think about you. You use a King James Bible because it's right. You don't come in here dressed decently because you're afraid of what somebody might think. That's nonsense. That's religion. You, you dress modestly because it's what the Bible says to do. Those are convictions. But if you're just doing it to make somebody happy, you don't have any convictions. And as quick as you're challenged, you'll, fo- you'll fold like a deck of cards. Amen. And let me say in closing that you must have love. Because without love, I don't care how good your convictions are. I don't care how strong you are and courageous and all that kind of stuff. Without love, it don't work. Everything has to be undergirded with the love of God. You know, when your children are disciplined, they need to know you're doing it because you love them. Honestly, not just saying so because you love them. When you take a stand, it needs to be because you love the Lord. Not because you're some super spiritual leader or she's a big guy with, you know, I'm a spiritual man. But you honestly love God. And your love overrides all the fear and the, and the torment and the reproach and the scorning and the mocking that this world can give. I want to ask you tonight, are you a man? <clears throat> Daddies, are we calling and leading our sons to biblical manhood? Or are we letting the world call our sons out to identify with them? And you can answer that question by who your child admires. Let me give you something. Imitation is the greatest form of admiration. Who are your children imitating? Watch this sports business, folks. Watch it. It'll get you. You'll think it's all fun and games and great. But there'll be, all of a sudden, there'll be a day come and you realize that his identity is with them, not us. Watch money. Because you'll think, well, yeah, we, and you want them to do well, and you want them to do and all of a sudden you'll find out that their identity is with those who have money. Their identity is in the money and the possessions that they own. It's not with Christ at all. Be careful about those things. I want us to bow our heads together tonight, and I just want to give this invitation quickly. I don't want to use, abuse your time. But I want to say this. If you're a young man in this church tonight, and you say, you know what, Reg? I may never be a biblical man either, but I'd like to start on the journey and I'd like to press on the journey I'm on. And you'd want to come out of your seat tonight and say, Lord, I want to be a biblical man. I want to be a biblical man. I want to identify with Jesus. I don't want to identify with this world. God bless you young men there. I appreciate your heart for the Lord. I'm going to identify with the Lord. It's not just going to be in church. Not just, I want to identify. If my mom and dad were drunks, I want to identify with Jesus. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. That's where I want my identity to be at. If it means I walk alone and I have no friends, it's okay. I've got Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You want to come tonight? You just spend some time with God. I'll tell you something. If I were you, I'd write this down tonight before I laid my head on my pillow and say, on this night, February the 16th or whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I told God I wanted to take a journey of biblical manhood. I want to be a biblical man. I'm not going to be a world's man. Any others want to come? Now's the time, quickly. Yes, God bless you there. Let me tell you something. It takes the grace of God. It takes grace. It takes God Almighty. God bless you, young man. I know that many of you, I watch you. You're on a journey to biblical manhood. I can see the desire in many of you's hearts.
that you want to be a biblical man. My message tonight is to encourage you in that journey. In that journey, I want to encourage you. Can I tell you something tonight? The spiritual level of the young men of this church will make a lot, big influence on the young ladies of this church. If we have godly young men who are, want to be biblical men, there's going to be, it'll make a difference in these young ladies' lives in this church. I told you that I am always seeking after to grow the men, strengthen the men, the leadership. These are the future leaders of America's homes. Anyone else come, come tonight? Let's have a closing word of prayer. If you stand with me, those that are praying, you stay as long as you want to stay. Father in heaven, I pray tonight, Lord, for these that have come forward, Lord, and at this altar tonight, this place of prayer, to ask for grace and to express their desire to you, Lord, to be a biblical man, to identify with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Dear God in heaven, I pray that you'll do that wonderful work of the Holy Ghost that can only be done by you, Lord. I pray, God, a work of the Spirit in their lives, their hearts, and their spirits, their minds, their souls, their very deepest being. That God, every day of their life, they will remind themselves of who they identify with. I pray, take all fear of other young people out of their minds and hearts. Give them strength to stand alone if they were the only boy in this church that was trying to live for God. God, loose them from the bonds of peer pressure and friends and all that kind of junk. Make them, Lord, strong and willing, Lord, to be reproached and bear reproach as Moses did. Lord, help them to esteem the Lord Jesus Christ and his life and his way of life over all the pleasures that this world can give them. Bless these young men, Heavenly Father, with strength from God. God, I pray you let them know, God, that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. And you'll be with them in the hardest places of life. But God, would you give us men who are biblical men. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us in this service. That we'd be all that we can be for Jesus' sake. It's in his name I pray. I want everybody to be still for just a moment. As I was praying, I felt the Lord nudge my heart. If your son's up here tonight, Dad, and you're here, I'm going to ask you to come and reinforce and encourage your son tonight here at this altar. And let him know you're with him. Let him know you care. Let him know you love him. Let him know he's in the right direction tonight. I know we're not hooping and hollering, but I'll tell you what we're having. We're having the right kind of service. We're having the right kind of service. Would you come? Amen. Let me just tell you something. The Bible says in the book of Malachi, he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. This country is cursed because there's an identifying with the world rather than with their father on earth and their father in heaven. Anyone else? I'm on a journey to biblical manhood. He was asking me before service started tonight to pray for Caleb and the ben is it Caleb and uh, Adam. They're traveling home from Florida tonight, driving through the night, ask for prayer for them for safety as they travel through the night. And I want to do that. Father in heaven, we pray for Adam and Caleb as they travel that you'd give them safety. And Lord, I pray, give them alertness during the night. Watch over them, Lord, we pray as they travel in Jesus' name. Amen.